Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to the audiobook, Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer. Chapter 2, Bad Boys, What You Gonna Do? Did I slur that? No, I think that was all right. All right, good. <clears throat> Two hours later, I slink into Manor Calf and head towards my regular booth at the back. The cracked leatherette gives a hearty wheeze as I plump myself down and pick up a laminated menu, emblazoned across the top with the jaunty legend, Grubs Ahoy! Lurid orange-hued photos of fry-ups wink at me provocatively, but my mind is elsewhere. I've arranged to meet Eldris in five minutes. I plan to make it quick. The less contact I have with Inspector Hunktastic McIntense, the better. One cup of tea, a quick chat, then I'm out of here. My stomach has other plans and emits one of those noises that's dangerously close to the sound of a fart. That was internal, I say to the old man at the nearest table, just so he knows. I must be hungrier than I thought, <laughs> I add for good measure. The man continues to suck at the crust of his egg sandwich, unmoved, and I huddle back into the furthest corner of my booth. Eldris and I normally meet at the local park. But it's getting a bit chilly this late in the year, and besides, I reckon he'll like it here. This place has Glaswegian copper written all over it. We might be in the heartland of an increasingly bugabooed North London, but there are no scrummy mummies, hippies or hipsters here. Just wall-to-wall hip replacements, elasticated waistbands, and the ever-present odour of chip fat and discarded dreams. Wasn't that evocative, Bernard? Very evocative, yes. One has to say it in a sort of world-weary gumshoe sort of way. Oh, yes. 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 Uh, Ever-present odour... How, do, how uh, is that? Ever-present odour of chip fat and discarded dreams. There we go. Very good. My phone pings with a text. It's my husband, Bernard. Oh, how about that? Oh, shall I do Bernard? Yes, go on. Greetings, light of my life, fire of my loins, or is that an STD? Ha ha! Kidding. Definitely not an STD. Just a rash. Might get it checked out, though. Better safe than sorry. Uh, Boss man invited us for dinner tonight. Says he wants to meet you. Short notice, but I said we're free. Good suck-up opportunity. Blowjob emoticon. Ooh, uh... Is that okay? Kiss, 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 kiss. Blue job emoticon. Oh yes, the little man with his mouth it, wide. It's open. got yes, exactly. Do you remember that one? It's like a colon and then a dash and then a, and then O, and it looks like a, a, a sort of human with an open mouth. Yes. Do you remember when we used to call them emoticons as well? That dates this. Emoticon. They're Did emojis. we ever call them emoticons? I thought it done a very a wild misspelling there. No, no, no. They're a called emojis emoji. now, but we used to call them emoticons, didn't we? It sounds like a transformer. It <laughs> emoticon. He was a very inefficient transformer. <laughs> he was Breaks very down dramatic. crying at the first sight of danger. Very dramatic. Right, back to the story. It's a measure of how distracted I am by Bobo's revelation and the imminent threat of Eldris's presence that I text back, that's fine, instead of, I'd rather eat my own bum. My phone pings seconds later. Great, I'll be back by six, then straight to dinner. Promotion ahoy! Kiss, 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 kiss. Damn it! Condemned to an evening of excruciating small talk and fake smiles and right after having to report a ruddy murder. I'll have to crack open my Christmas stash of Cambodian pharmaceuticals at this rate. I glance at the time on my phone. Eldris will be here any minute. He's always very punctual. How can I spin it this time? I've never told him the information comes mainly from my dog, of course. Can you imagine? He wouldn't believe me anyway. He'd think I was stark staring bonkers. Whereas as it stands, he probably just thinks I'm a criminal. 
Sigh, I sigh, tracing a crack in the formica with my finger. Life has become rather complicated since I became blessed with bestial telepathy. It's not all bad, of course. It's given me a new source of revenue on top of the usual psychic and fortune-telling shizzle. I'm now an official pit counsellor with a genuine internet certificate to prove it. It was a very flexible course, mainly because I invented it. It's very easy to do. You simply buy a domain name, such as www.accreditedpetpsychologyforyou.com, and then force your teenage daughter to design and set up the site by threatening to start charging her rent. The final step is to bung your own name on the alumni page. Instant reassurance for the client who does a quick Google search to verify your credentials. As for my techniques, it's all based on common sense. First I get the owner to leave the room, and then I interrogate the pet in question using food, toys, threats, anything you'd use on a small child, basically, until they tell me what the problem is. That's all there is to it. Simple. Some are more stubborn than others, and different species have different ways of communicating. Cats are sociopaths, unsurprisingly. Fish, insane belief systems you would not believe. Hamsters can kiss my ass, dreadful little bastards. You wouldn't believe what they come out with. But regardless of individual personality and cultural and societal conditioning, and you better believe they have that, if you apply enough pressure, they open up in the end. Normally the problems are fairly mundane and easy to solve, mostly revolving around digestive problems, but I tart it up a bit for the sake of the client stroke pet owner. I usually tell them some old bollocks about the root of the problem being the clash between domestication and the animal's true nature as a wild creature. For instance, Tiddles tells me he's yearning for the plains of Africa, which is why he's crapping on his special blanket every night. Finally, I prescribe a special chakra-balancing diet, containers of which can be bought directly from yours truly. There's no need to worry. I'm not forcing animals to ingest dodgy remedies. What do you think I am, some kind of irresponsible monster? No, I simply repackage supermarket pet food in fancy-looking receptacles and flog it for double the retail price. Won't hurt the furry darlings in the slightest. So... That's the positive side of animal telepathy. But otherwise, it's been awful. For a start, I've had to become vegetarian. Vegetarian! I never thought it'd come to this, but you try having a cosy chat with someone's pet pot-bellied Vietnamese pig and then eating a bacon sandwich. Feels like cannibalism. Delicious, wonderful cannibalism. God, I miss meat. I miss it so much that I've started to seriously consider how guilty I'd feel if I ate a hamster. Based on their personalities, I've come to the conclusion I might start breeding them in the shed. But it's the dogs that are really complicating my life. Before Bobo in his bombshell, one dog in particular had already established himself as a massive pain in my ass, and that was Dave. My Dave! My own dear little manzy pansy, the family's beloved border terrier. He was the first animal I spoke to when I became blessed with my new power scared the shit out of me initially and then I thought it was wonderful. I could talk to my dog. I could find out why he often looked so pensive, who his previous owners had been and how he came to be abandoned and a thousand other things. But it turned out Dave doesn't really do chatting, by which I mean sustained and equal to and fro conversation. No dogs do, quite a lot of humans struggle with it so we can't expect too much. But that doesn't mean they don't have conscious thoughts. Oh, no. They are more than capable of thinking. They're thinking all the bloody time. Dave, for instance, is a criminal analyst and informant par excellence. 
He has a brain that, when fully awake, is almost constantly assessing his environment and the people in it, although he's easily distracted by snacks, squirrels, cats, cuddles with his human family and fox shit. Human behaviour in particular occupies a large part of his attention because, because dogs love us so much. Perhaps I'm making their psychology out to be more complicated than it actually is. Essentially, I think they're simply avid gossips. But whatever their motivation is, the main result is that in the previous 11 months, Dave has passed me information about five different cases of criminal behaviour. Five. A drug dealer, an arsonist, a stabbing, a case of human trafficking, and a man building a bloody bomb in his shed to take the coalition government out. Coalition government! That dates Good this Lord, book. yes. What was that? 20, 2015, the end of that. God, and we thought that was bad. Oh, <laughs> blimey. Babes in the wood. Anyway, back to the book. Each of them occurred within a 12-mile radius, with our house as the epicentre. And of course, each time Dave informed me about the latest neighbourhood felony, I felt duty-bound to pass it on to the police. Hence why I've now seen Inspector Eldris more than I've seen my own daughter in the last few months. Eldris's attitude has changed over that time too. He's treating me with mounting suspicion, and who could blame him? Each time, Eldris demands to know how I've stumbled across such information, and each time, I've said I've simply seen some odd things while I'd walking the dog, and subsequently made a few leaps of logic. He blatantly doesn't believe me, so Christ knows how I'm going to tell him about a homicide without arousing further suspicion. I tell you what, this whole thing is bloody hard on the nerves. My powers have brought me nothing but stomach upsets. I haven't had a proper stool in months. Although that might well be the vegetarianism, I really must look into the logistics of breeding hamsters. Oh, to be just a fortune teller again. Last year, I was guzzling gravy and blissfully unaware I was harbouring a furry Miss Marple. This year, I have an iron deficiency, a direct number for a copper, and a growing number of recently incarcerated felons with reason to hold a grudge against me. Oh, this is you, Bernard. Can you do Eldris? He said he was Glaswegian. Glaswegian. And he's very hunky. So if you could sound hunky, that would be marvellous. Jesus, my Christ. Eldris murmurs, snapping me out of my anxious reverie. He slides his bulk into the seat opposite me. What a shithole. Waitress! He barks across the room to Maureen, currently propping up the sandwich counter. Chamomile tea, please. Leave the bargain. Eldris wrenches his coat off like he's about to pistol whip a witness, and he doesn't want blood on the fabric. He's very much like that. Every move he makes is very deliberate and cop-like. Thank God. Imagine if he wasn't a massive cliché. I'd be terribly disappointed. Hello again, I say in a jolly, oh dearie me, what a palaver, <laughs> kind of way. Eldris fixes me with his intimidating pig-to-crim gaze. We stay like that for a couple of deeply intense moments. I lean forward. Are you trying to seduce me, Eldris? I purr. I can't help it. He's a handsome chappy, and he takes himself incredibly seriously. It's a combination begging to be flirted with. Bernard wouldn't mind. I've seen how he chats to his World of Minecraft online chums. Don't you, Bernard? World of Minecraft? Eldris recoils slightly from my waggling eyebrows, distaste writ large on his craggy face. What? Of course I'm not trying to seduce you. He splutters like a flustered panto dame. If anything, you're coming on to me. I leer at him in an old-fashioned way. Stop fretting, Inspector Eldris. I'm a happily married woman. This is strictly business. Good. Eldris says briskly, slapping his big palms onto the plastic tabletop. So let's cut the crap. 
I'm not here to play silly buggers, and you... He jabs a finger at me across the Formica tabletop. I'm bloody lucky I'm not questioning you down the station. This is the fifth time you've been privy to criminal behaviour in 12 months. Sixth, I correct him. Six! Six times! Six unrelated crimes! Let me tell you something, Magenta. Informants inform us about the circles that they move in. That's how they get their information. Because it's happening right in front of their noses. But this... I do not understand what this is. Eldris gives me a fierce look. I hope to God you're not playing the vigilante woman. He seems agitated, whereas I wouldn't say I'm enjoying it. But it is a tiny bit thrilling. I must play cops and robbers with Bernard later. So that's why you wanted to do that. Well, I, I often do, don't well, I? I do, yes, yes, I suppose so. It makes T! Sense. Maureen barks, slapping a mug down in front of the hulking detective. Milky PG tips slops lazily out the side and pools on the table. Maureen turns to me, face like a mournful Sharpay. Do you want to do Maureen as well? I suppose. Go on. What can I get you, dear? Number two vegetarian breakfast, please. Extra beans and a cup of tea. My stomach farts in agreement. That was internal, I explain hastily. You can have my tea. Eldris grunts, pushing the cup towards me and shooting a look at Maureen's indifferent back as she shuffles away. I can't drink it. I'm lactose intolerant. Gives you wind, does it? I say coquettishly. Yes. Eldris growls, penetrating me with his gaze. And it's hard to intimidate witnesses when I'm trumping like an elderly Labrador. A Labrador? That gives me pause. A coincidence? Or something else? Does Inspector Eldris know something? A Labrador? Hmm, I say carefully, watching his reaction. I feel like Steve McQueen in the Thomas Crown Affair. Eldris frowns. Or any sort of dog. Or a bloody cow. Does it matter? He sighs impatiently, running a hand over his close-cropped hair. So, come on then. Out with it. What have you found out this time? Uncovered an international crime syndicate, eh? His lips curl in a sarcastic smile. Or a plan to assassinate the Queen, maybe? Nothing like that. I pause, trying to find the words. Or rather, yes, in a way. I pause again. It all seems a little unreal, to be honest. I mean... Murder? That's just silly, isn't it? That only happens on the telly. Oh-ho! Eldris crows, eyeballing me. Someone's assassinated the Queen, have they? That's funny. You'd think we'd have heard by now. Don't be daft, I say, exasperated. Out with it, then. Bossy twat. I haven't got all... A woman's been murdered! All right! That shuts him up. I can only tell you some of the details. Eldris frowns and looks at me strangely. Impulsively, I reach into my bag and remove my notebook. This contains all the information I have. There's enough for you to pinpoint the location of the body, although I don't have her name, I'm afraid, and I don't have the killer's surname or address, but I've included his girlfriend's name and phone number. She's not involved in this, but she'll know where he is. The notes are a little, um, eccentric in their detail because of my source. Eldris fingers the notepad, but doesn't yet open it. I swallow. I hadn't planned on giving him the whole kitten caboodle. I was just going to feed him sufficient information so that he could go away and find the rest out for himself. But I'd suddenly balked at the idea. What if I misjudge how much to tell him and a murderer gets away? And then murders again? It'd be my fault, wouldn't it? I'd have that on my conscience. Ugh, how boring. Eldris opens the notepad slowly, still looking at me with thoughtful eyes. An icy little fist of dread clinches in my stomach. He's going to take me to the station this time, I can feel it. I'm up to my neck in deep doo-doo without a popper scooper in sight. Eldris starts reading. I've probably filled around five sides with Bobo's words. My breakfast arrives while he's on the third read-through, and I start eating. Not much upsets my appetite. 
After the third read-through, Eldris scrapes back his chair and stands. He pulls his phone out of his pocket and points it at me, right in my face while I'm chewing on a vegetarian sausage, which is a bit much. Don't go anywhere. He says stonily. I'm going to make a phone call. I'll be back in ten minutes. And then we need to have a proper talk. Oh, I thought that was the end of the chapter, but it's not. There's more. <laughs> oh, is there more? Yes. Blimey, what a, what a massive paragraph there is in this <laughs> ebook. For some reason, the formatting's gone a bit strange and there's a huge paragraph break. Isn't that would have been quite a good point to end the chapter, wouldn't it? It would, but we're going forward All right, anyway. fair enough. Right. Luckily, Manacav has a back door that they let their regulars use when criminal activity and Lafayre's de la Harte go awry. Many a fleeing lover stroke fugitive has scurried past the deep fat fryer and round the bins in search of open pastures. Not a good idea, I hear you say. Judging me, are you? Think that running away from the law isn't the best solution, huh? Well, huh, shows how much you know, judgy McFarty pants. This can't catch up with me because Eldris doesn't know my address and full name because I never told him. That's foresight, that is. It's also the result of being involved in some slightly dubious business practices myself and not having paid tax since 1996. It makes one rather cautious about one's interactions with the filth. I think from now on, I'll just send anonymous letters to the police when Dave or whoever tells me about any new crimes. I actually tried to do that originally, but it took me bloody ages to cut out the individual letters from newspapers and magazines. Plus, I got craft glue all over my caftan, and the end result was rather hard to read and looked like a proper nutter had done it, so I binned it. Bernard has direct numbers for various members of the police force due to his work in security, so I nicked his file effects one day and called a detective from the Serious Crimes Unit. D.I. Eldris didn't seem too resistant to my need for anonymity, so I continued to feed him info on the phone until a couple of crimes in, when I finally succumbed to curiosity and arranged to meet up with him. And the rest, as they say, is a bloody rum old to-do that I could have done without, quite frankly. When I finally get back to the house, I feel rather queasy. I'm also a little worried about Sandra. I didn't tell her what Bobo had said in the end. I couldn't face it. Instead, I told her her dog was experiencing digestive problems due to a secret yearning to hunt with the pack under a silver moon. Ridiculous. Bobo mourns the loss of his roots about as much as Bernard misses a prehensile tail. Of course, uh, do you miss Priya Hensel-Tale? Well, you never asked, did you? <laughs> no, I suppose I didn't. No, but actually, as it happens, I don't. So that, well, that well, was a fair enough thing to say. Of course, as I didn't tell her the truth, there's a distinct possibility that she's with her murderous boyfriend right now. Oh, dear. Maybe I'll phone her later. I open the door and Dave runs up to greet me, wagging his tail and trilling with happiness. I head into the living room and sit down, allowing him to jump on my lap, where he immediately attempts to lick my face, as per usual. I put my hands up to keep him at bay. Oh, do you want to be Dave? Oh, I'll do Dave. Do Dave's voice. Hello, 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 hello. He says, or thinks rather, happily, tongue poised, looking for an opening. Don't do that, Dave, I say, restraining him. But I need to see what you've been eating, and where you've been, and who you've been with. Dave insists. That's a strange accent. (laughs) No, no, it's a dog accent. It's a dog accent. Good, good. No, no, you don't, I scold. With a sudden heave of effort, Dave wriggles through the barrier of my hands and lands a sloppy kiss all over my face. Man a calf. Dave pants triumphantly. Chip fat and dust, the big man with the light feet and the secrets met you there. You took the shortcut by the bins. The waitress who owns the ginger cat serve you. The cat's in the first stages of kidney disease due to advancing age. Dave, I shout, pushing him off my lap. That's enough! 
and then I feel immediately guilty, because although he lands on his feet, his head dips in alarm and his little ears flatten. He turns to look at me with eyes filled with hurt, his tail drooping dramatically. Oh, for Pete's sake, I mutter, knowing I'm being manipulated but powerless in the face of it. Dave starts to slink slowly away, head down. I am a bad boy. Dave thinks sadly, defeated, broken. Dave, Dave, good boy, come back, I trill, foe enthusiastically. Dave halts tremulously and turns to look at me with wounded eyes. Mummy just needs a break, that's all, I explain, though I doubt he understands what a break is. Dave doesn't do personal space. You haven't done anything wrong, I reassure him. Ooh, I have an idea, I say, still in the tones of one of those god-awful children's TV presenters who are all clearly on some kind of stimulant. In fact, I've been reliably informed from impeccable sources. They're all rave hippies who go to festivals and indulge in orgies of amphetamine-fueled excess. Hmm, I know, I'm not naming any names, because apparently it's all of them, especially the bouncy ones. Come on, Dave, let's go see if there are any squirrels in the garden. Dave immediately perks up. Oh boy, oh boy, squirrels. He crows, all hurt forgotten. I like to chase them. He explains, in case I've never noticed. I lead Dave through the house, grabbing a lager from the kitchen en route, and let him out the back door. I watch as he scampers away happily, tails swaying with contentment. I crack open my lager thoughtfully and gaze into the growing twilight. The familiar shapes of day are cast in shadow, the only light coming from the glinting of the moon's rays on the sprinkling of frost that coats my garden. It'd be a still, subdued scene if it wasn't for the animals, but they're everywhere. A fly lands on my sleeve. Bernard, do it. Yum, yum. It buzzes. Do a buzzy, buzzy one. Yum, yum. That's better. But pukes into its cupped hands, legs, whatever they are. I shake it off, grimacing. Meanwhile, a sparrow on a nearby branch sings a song that makes Nicki Minaj seem positively chaste, swiftly answered by a string of melodious smut from its rival in a neighbouring tree. It's a crotch-grabbing rap battle that won't get either of them a job at Disney anytime soon. It doesn't really bother me, truth be told. Some might find the aggressive posturing of God's creatures a little vulgar. I find it reinforces suspicions I've long held, which is always satisfying. At school, it irked me how cloying and wet the romantic poets were about the natural world. If ma nature actually existed, surely she'd be enjoying an ale and a smoke in the beer garden of Eden, not skipping around in a chiffon nighty plaiting flowers in her hair. A chill wind blows and chills my extremities. Sipping lager, I head back inside, the peace of the night punctuated by tuneful torrents of filth. Now, that's the end of the chapter. It would have been much better ending earlier, wouldn't it? It was actually a better ending where we left it off in the first place, wasn't it? How long was that? Uh, I don't know. But never mind. Too bloody long! Let's stick <laughs> to... Let's stay authentic to the book and end there, shall we? All right. So, tune in next Thursday for the next chapter. Yes. All right. Bye. <laughs>
Each episode is different. Each client coming to the death faking agency has a unique story to tell. If death and disappearances, comedy and crime, mystery and magic sounds like your cup of cocoa, The Amelia Project is the podcast for you. Search for The Amelia Project wherever you find your podcasts. And remember, leave your message after the beep. <laughs>